actually watched that <laughs> that is how it goes live from the internet it's sicko and ebert we're talking about saturday night live movies now that's what we're doing this is the least live saturday night has ever been <laughs> like it is actually said we're actually recording on a saturday night for me it's it, um, it well evening. yeah it's saturday afternoon for me <laughs> <laughs> saturday early afternoon but it is what it is it's still saturday good enough for me um, d- should we clarify exactly? I think we kind of talked about it at the end of the last one, but this season is going to be about, um, not just... This is going to be a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, I mean, well, first off, obviously, like, the entire... I mean, I guess it's mainly Lorne Michaels is the... the is to blame for this season, but also, um... Yeah, fuck that Yeah, fuck guy. him. But also, we're not talking about every single Saturday Night Live movie, because there, there's... No. One that's really good, um, and outside of this podcast, it's the only movie I've ever seen. And then there's a co- <laughs> there's a couple others, but mostly, like I feel like some context is necessary here because like Wayne's World came out in 1992, right? And it was good. Yes, it's the only movie that's ever been made. Um, we can all agree on this. Wayne's World is a good movie. Wayne's World is a good um... movie. And I haven't seen any of the SNS sketches. It's based. You don't on, need to. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just uh. It hits like, I guess it hits like a similar H's Spinal Tap. Yeah. As like, uh, you know, if you're into like s- stupid rock music guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I very much am because that was every dude in Wayne's World is like my parents' friends. At that point in time. Yeah. So I was very familiar with those people. My dad could have been hanging out with them. Um, it's a good movie. So Wayne's World happened in 1992. And then Lorne... Big success. And Lorne Michaels said, That's not hitting lightning once. You know, that's not like lightning striking once. We can do this as many times as possible. And we will be doing that for the next decade. Yep. And he sure did. So... The, f- the first one that he inflicted on us after Wayne's World was the one that we're talking about today. And that's Conehead's 1993 film. Coneheads? This is such a bizarre choice. <laughs> it is! For what to... Because with, with Wayne's World, that was, you know, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey were like up and coming... Mm-hmm comedians they were i assume they were on snl like at that they were yeah um you know i think dana carvey has been in like the only non-wayne's world movie he has been in is master of disguise and then like one or two others (laughs) he shows up every so often but like it's nowhere near as often as like a lot of other even actors like that who just show up um yeah and 
And I think for for, for Conehead, he goes back to Wayne's World. First sketch showed up in 1987, uh, and you know they featured on SNL like for the next, you know, every once in a while until like 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wayne's World, the movie, came out in 93. 92, 93, yeah. So, 92, yeah. yes. 92, uh, 1993, Wayne's World 2. So, like, those came out, like, while it was still mm-hmm. on. For this one, he went back to the Coneheads, which was a series of sketches that aired on Saturday Night Live between 1977 and 1979. This movie came out in 1993. Why? And <laughs> that era of SNL, right? That 70s era, we talked about this, like, little off-air before mm-hmm. recording, right? Like, that was original era of SNL that was when most of the people you know from like the late 70s early 8 like the the 80s comedy movies Bill Murray Chevy Chase Steve Martin Steve Martin Dan Aykroyd of course Dan Aykroyd like but like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray were in Ghostbusters Mm in the 80s they both like spawned out of like they they grew out of SNL Mm -hmm. right but they got like their own material that was funnier than probably anything that aired on SNL. Yeah. And I guess the idea here is that maybe it's because Blues Brothers, because that is based also based on like the SNL band that Dan Aykroyd was. Yeah, in. that's what I was thinking. I guess Lauren wanted to go back to back to a Dan Aykroyd thing, but but it's just so bizarre. It is. It's because like the Blues Brothers, like Wayne's World. We talk about Wayne's World as being, like, the origin of this kind of, like, 90s SNL movie explosion, which it is, but it's not the first SNL movie that came out, like, right? Like, the first one was Blues Brothers in 1980. Um, so Dan Aykroyd's already done this, first off. Yeah. yeah. And he said, gotta do it again. But that was, <laughs> you know, that was a success, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, that was... You know, John Landis aside. John, yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't need to mention him. You know, Blues Brothers is a, is a fun, successful... Like, that's a real movie, yeah. you know? It much... Like, that's a movie that feels like an actual yeah, movie. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, Wayne's World, like, you don't necessarily need to be familiar with the sketches in order to watch it and get something out of it, you know? In order to watch it and say, I didn't waste two hours, you know? whereas like this is such a weird decision like you look at i don't understand the the brain of lauren michaels to say okay we just had this really successful really good movie come out about a sketch that is contemporaneous um an extant sketch that we're doing right now why don't we go back but 15 people, years? Did people have, like, a huge... Nost- but here's the thing, right? Like, today, you know, if they did something like this today, like, if they did a movie based on a sketch that was big in 2000... That's not... No, it wouldn't even be 2000. It'd be, like, 2007. Yeah. Like, that could do that. I think if they did that today, that would be a huge hit because everyone is so nostalgia-poisoned. Uh, yeah. But I don't think this was the case in the early 90s. Like, I don't think people in the 90s were nostalgic for the 70s. Yeah. 
I don't know if they were. <laughs> I really don't know if they were. Like, were they? And the other thing is, 90s SNL, like, hit, like, that was, like, the biggest the show has been since, you know, since the Bill Murray years, right? Yeah. Like, Chris Farley was on, Adam Sandler was on, like, they had the, the current day, like, Mike, Mike Myers was on, right? Like, that present day cast of SNL mm-hmm. was, you know, their most successful one. So it's so bizarre to go back to, because, again, like, if they did this today, you know, nobody cares about the current SNL cast, but people have a nostalgia for 2000s SNL. Yeah. So today this would be a slam dunk. Oh yeah. I'm looking at by the way, I'm looking but, at 2000 2008 uh recurring Saturday night live characters. Yes. I don't know who any of these characters are. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I could definitely Can you hit me with some of them. Um okay, we've got um Nicholas Finn played by Fred Armisen. Uh I know okay. him. I mean I know Fred <laughs> Armisen. I don't know who I don't know the characters. Yeah. But I at least I know the Yeah, actor. I know him. Um uh, we've got John K. John played by Keenan Thompson. Um, I think I remember this okay. character actually, um, vaguely, not super well. Um, we've got a parody of the Susie Orman show with uh, Kristen Wiig. Um, Adam Grossman played by Jonah Hill, who was not an SNL cast member. He probably hosted uh, an episode. Yeah. yeah. Um, two other Kristen Wiig characters. The Cougar Den, which is a talk show for for older women. It's funny when older women have sexual desires. Um, yeah, uh-huh. and then um, Scared Straight, which is like an already existing thing. Which it's so it's not an original SNL idea. Um, yep. and that's all there is. <laughs> that's all we've got for two thousand seven to two thousand eight. Great. Me. But the thing is, the cast of the 2007 SNL was, like, it had Bill Hader, it had Amy Poehler, it had uh, it, Fred Armisen, Will Forte, Andy Samberg. Kristen Wiig. Kristen, I know almost all of these yeah. people. Right? Almost all of these names say something to me. I wouldn't be able to, like, list people who are in the current SNL. Oh, I have no idea. We were talking about that at work, like, a few days ago. My, my One of my coworkers was yeah. like... Who's the one guy who's just, he's been on SNL for like 12 years and nobody has any idea what his name is. And his job in every sketch is to just play the the straight man to everybody else. He's been doing it for such a long time and nobody knows who he is. And I'm like, I don't fucking know who he is. <laughs> this is fuck if I know. I don't know who anybody is. Like, I don't, but yeah, like, I don't think... Because 15 years is, like, a weird amount of time to have nostalgia for. It's, like, like I yeah. guess there's nostalgia for 2007 right now, sort of. But I feel like that's a little bit more understandable because the last five to ten years have, like, time has become fake in the last decade. Yeah. So it feels like it's been 30 years since 2007. But, like, in 1992... Stuff moved a lot more slowly. So if you look back at yeah. 1977, it, f- you know, <sighs> I don't. No, I think it's, I think it's almost the opposite. Like, I think between 1977 and 1993, I think there's, I think that the time between those, maybe because things moved s- slower, it feels like a lot more time has passed, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's just, 
it just feels like an entirely different like era of like especially like comedy and it do- it, it does feel different. I'm just like whereas now like Bill Hader and Amy Poehler are still like in stuff. Yeah, like, they're still in, in yeah. movies. I just like were people nostalgic for it though. In yeah. 19- I mean, I don't think. Yeah, that's. I think that's the point. Yeah. Like. Or, or that's the that's the thing. Like today, people are not necessarily nostalgic for two thousand seven, but it's like nothing really has changed that much. Mm-hmm. Like, other than like, I guess you know, politically things have changed. But for the for the type of people who are into SNL, <laughs> people have things might not have changed, mm-hmm. right? Like for 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 this kind of like lib audience. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. Uh, this, this was, but we're talking about, we're talking about Coneheads. We're talking about Coneheads. Um, let's talk about the origins of the Coneheads first, because there's some. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of meat on this carcass. Um, yes. If you, so the funny joke of Coneheads, I know it. They're aliens. Um. Is that they're aliens. Aliens. I mean, this feels like... You know, Brooks and Eddie love to talk about this, that comedy was not invented. Yeah. Like, like, this really feels like the Stone Age of comedy. It does! You needed to have, like, one joke, and you could coast on that. Like, here's here's the joke of Conehead, Mm -hmm. right? They look funny. They look funny. They speak Mm -hmm. funny. Um... And the main joke is, you know, basically the, the two pillars of comedy here are the strangeness of the Coneheads and the very nonchalant reaction to the normal people. Yeah. No- and that's like, you know, we just watched like a bit of one of the Conehead sketches, which was when they were on Family Feud. Mm-hmm. And the joke is that the Family Feud host, Bill Murray is just interviewing them as if they were normal contestants, even though they say weird stuff. Yeah, they say weird stuff and they look weird. Um, that's the entire joke. That's the whole joke. It it really is. It's like looking at some of the first jokes ever told. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's what I fe- and that's how I felt the entire movie. I'm sitting there like, wow, this is all you needed to do to be funny in 1977. <laughs> you know? It's... It, <laughs> The thing about this movie is though that it's not unwatchable. It's not. Like, this movie is all yeah. right. It's fine. Uh, compared to everything else we've watched, this is certainly one of the better things. Yeah, compared to fucking uh, Reckless Kelly, yeah. <laughs> this is... But also, at the same time, it's one of the laziest things. It is. It's like... <laughs> like, it isn't offensive. Mm-hmm. Or it isn't awful, but it's also just nothing. It's not... Exactly. That's exactly how I felt. I finished watching it, and I was like, I hope I have anything to say about this movie, because it was just... Yeah. <laughs> it was one of the most acceptably mid-movies I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it just was. It was, like, perfectly fine to have on while I did my puzzle <laughs> that night, you know? I didn't have to focus on it. I never lost track of what was happening. Um, I also, like, never really got a huge laugh out of it. I think it got, like, one bigger laugh out of me. I don't remember what it was. I had, like, a constant... You're you're on, like, a constant state of amusement. Yeah. 
right? Like, watching this is like, I don't know, it's like reading a... It's like reading the funny pages in the newspaper. Yeah. It's like, you know, nothing is going to get a huge laugh out of mm-hmm. you, but you're like at a or or it's like or it's like watching a watching one of those like comedies for kids, I guess. It's like watching the speaker <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is going to like actually crack you up, but you can kind of feel there's like this 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 level of amusement, this level of this level of, you know, you're not even going to chuckle, but it's like, you kind of get that this is, this is humorous. Yeah. I understand abstractly that this is funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what was I going to fucking say? It's like, for me, the experience of it was a lot like, it's like reading a humorous essay that was written in like 1762. It's like, It's Mm -hmm. the exact same feeling I get when I'm reading, like, Jonathan Swift, where I'm like, okay, this is, this is what humor was back when, you know? And, and when I get into that perspective, I get more enjoyment out of it, but it's also enjoyment in, like, a different way from me just watching something that I think is legitimately hilarious. Because it is, it's just, it's just like a, a very base um, not unenjoyable level of being amused, which I feel like is very different from walking away from a movie and saying, that was hilarious, you know, this was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's... It never made, it didn't make me mad. Just like, we have... Yeah. <laughs> which is the least I can ask for. Now, watching this movie now is, like, fine, because we don't really have that much of a frame of, you know, the 90s... And the 70s are, like, despite everything I've said, they're both, like, have been a long time ago. Like, I think, like, watching this now for us is, like, yeah, I guess it's a buying on era of comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, If you watch it, like, compared to other things that came out in... What comedies came out in 1993? Comedy movies. Oh, that's a good question. What was was the landscape? Adam's Family Values. Okay. Uh... Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Robin Hood Men in Tights. Okay. Um, Hocus Pocus. Groundhog Day. Oh, son-in-law. <laughs> Sis- oh, Groundhog-, Groundhog Day is a good is a good one yeah. actually. Like that's that also stars an ex uh, SNL. Uh, an ex Ghostbuster. An ex Ghostbuster. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, you know. Hey, you know what else came out in 1993? What? Son-in-law. This is better than son-in-law. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah. Sister Act <laughs> back in the habit. Grumpy old men. <laughs> the- <laughs> oh, Dazed and Confused came uh-huh. out that year. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers. Great. Get it. I guess. I guess even put in the context of 1990s comedies, like now that I have read out all of these, maybe I'll take it back. Like maybe it was just not a great time for comedy. Like other than Groundhog Day, uh, there's no real. Uh, no real classics there. Yeah, it just feels so anachronistic. Like it just feels this. Like the whole movie has the feel of, yeah, this was based on SNL sketches. Yeah. Like you can't, you cannot fool anyone, right? You cannot. Yeah. You cannot show this movie to, uh, to someone who, uh, who doesn't know about, about like the context, and they won't be like, oh yeah, this is a normal movie. Yeah. Uh, it just really has this feel of it's. 
based on antiquated SNL sketches. I don't know, like where why why this movie isn't awful. This feels like I think historically <laughs> doing this right after Wayne's World feels like a historic misstep for Lorne Michael. <laughs> One of Lorne's few dubs. It feels like <laughs> But cuz this feels like I, I don't <laughs> think he do he completely doomed the SNL movie project after the first one went over so yeah. well. He cuz this one is full of really famous people. That's right? I want to talk about that cuz I feel like we'll talk about that but 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 this one is full of really famous people and after that you know he made Wayne's World 2 um which I guess didn't go over as well as Wayne's World yeah. 1. And after that the next movie he made was It's Pat starring like nobody famous. I want to like, die based on, when I think about It's based Pat. Based on a sketch that or, or a character that I think like even back then wasn't like a big yeah. hit. Um, so that might also be a I, I think those I think this and It's Pat go probably hand in hand as like mm-hmm. like I think It's Pat is probably a bigger misstep like he could have saved the project. Uh, but Coneheads was already like I think Coneheads must have been the point where he, uh, where he like played away like all the like every comedic favor he could get. Yeah. Right. It feels like Lorne pulled like pulled like a favor from like every uh, famous comedian at the time uh, to to be in this SNL movie project, and after that he just couldn't get any of the famous ones, and then had to like do like a. D grade character like Pat yeah he he been going <laughs> he he burned through all of his goodwill yeah. with this movie. like <laughs> I think the thing that you were saying about how you couldn't watch this movie and and think of it as like oh this is a normal movie there's no way you're gonna do that I think the first reason like if you set somebody with absolutely no knowledge of Saturday Night Live or its sketches or anything if you sat them down and had them watch this movie um and they knew like the actors names and they saw all of these names in the first couple of minutes watching the the in the beginning credits come up they would start to be like wow this this is a this is a really like all-star cast you know this is these are big names and then they'd watch it and they'd be like why are all of them doing these little bit parts (laughs) is something going on behind the scenes what how did this happen you know and that's you know you would that person would begin to make the pieces fit and be like something was up with the production was this like (laughs) was this was this where did this come from? This couldn't have just been a thing that they put out. Like, there's no way. Whereas something like Wayne's World, you could have, like, it went with the time frame, but you didn't have to have the lore behind it. <laughs> you didn't need to have watched the sketches. Yeah. You know? It's just, it's, it's so, there's so much about this movie that's weird. Um, a lot weirder than the Coneheads themselves. Like, yeah, I wanna before we before we get to it because I I was just like doing a little bit of research and uh, that's always gonna, a good start to this. a bit on this on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna share this uh, article here from uh, ultimateclassicrock.com. Ultimateclassicrock.com. Okay, uh, it says uh, Scott how Coneheads went from Potheads catch to SNL classic. Okay, this was published in 
January 2022, which, like, I mean, I guess we're part of the problem, right? <laughs> like, we're doing... Because I was going to say, who was looking for it, Conehead's coverage in 2022? But I guess we're doing that as well, so... Oh, the, the, the algorithm fucking has gotten my ass, because I looked on the <laughs> side of this page, and it's giving me, under the special features, the very first add to an article I'm seeing is yes solo albums ranked thank you ultimate classic rock.com <laughs> targeted targeted internal advertising I was thinking it was gonna be I, I, I didn't I didn't know what I was gonna expect from this I was I, don't know, I, I thought it was gonna be like some guilty gear stuff <laughs> like I noticed that's something you've been getting into <laughs> <laughs> that, then you really would have known then you really would have known yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fucking get my ass okay anyway let's see this on january 1977 beldar primat and connie went on to the world's coneheads made their debut on saturday night live <laughs> strange aliens were the brainchild of snl star dan Aykroyd, who came up with the idea while getting high this lo- i had been looking at the tv i guess i'd smoked a j or something the comedian recalled j in in scare quotes yes <laughs> I thought, everybody's heads don't really reach the top of the screen. Wouldn't it be great if you added four inches to everybody? <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? This <laughs> <laughs> is like a fucking, like, madman bit with, like... <laughs> Tom Tramper is like... Imagine the heads going higher. <laughs> That's some shit that one of us would say. Wouldn't it be great if you added four inches to everybody? It'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> the production assistants used to play a game. Uh, this is a quote from someone else working at SNL, Robin Schleen. Uh, the production assistants used to play a game. We'd get the sketches and then it would be like, hmm, what drug were they on when they wrote this? This guy had to be on drugs when he came up with this. <laughs> Like it still was the seventies. That that's how you worked on uh, on uh, on Saturday Night Live in uh, in nineteen seventy seven. Great, like the Coneheads. That was a total pothead sketch. The quintessential pothead sketch. <laughs> People from all over the world come to me and tell me that when they think of the quintessential quintessential pothead sketch. <laughs> Their brain immediately goes to Conehead's. Who amongst us doesn't love to uh, light a doobie and uh, put on Coneheads? Who among us doesn't like to smoke a fatty and imagine everybody's foreheads being really tall? I think it's good. Still, the characters didn't begin life as the Conehead family. Originally, Acres came up with a sketch called The Pinhead Lawyers from France, she had a similar visual, but lacked the alien plot. Great! SNL head honcho Lorne Michaels thought it would be in bad taste to make fun of people with deformities. And the concept was shelved. So I guess the I guess Denikor's original idea was like, wouldn't it be funny if French people actually looked like that? Wouldn't it be funny if French people ac- actually look like that, though? <laughs> I don't think... Look. <laughs> I... I don't think it's cool to make fun of people with physical deformities, but... I but it is very funny to make fun of French here. people. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> like, this is... <laughs> look, look, people with cone heads isn't, like, a real issue in the world. French people is an like, issue in the is... world. French people is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been funnier if the idea would actually have been that French people look like... <laughs> 
just look like regular ass people, but they were just French. Uh huh. I don't know where I was going with that. It's it just <laughs> what if? it'd just be funny. <laughs> what 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 did you have to? What did Dan Aykroyd have to smoke for that to come up with funny French man? <laughs> <laughs> the weird French man, nineteen ninety three movie. <laughs> French guys from Paris. <laughs> the thing is, if Dan Aykroyd and like one other cast member just played a couple of French people, I would totally buy that that's a sketch that they just did in 1977 SNL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Later... Uh, Aykroyd and SNL writer Tom Davis came up with a sketch called Blind Dates from Outer Space, inspired by cheesy 1950s sci-fi films. It too would be abandoned before making it on the screen, but the idea included distinctive alien voices. Hey! To raise for the Coneheads. This is another... The, the voice that Dan Aykroyd is doing, that's another, like, oh yeah, this is when people, like, first try to do comedy. Yeah. Like, that's what they did. It's just... Just do a, just do a kind of a nasally voice. Yeah, just do a nasally robot voice. It's the, it's literally, it's one of the first comedy voices ever invented. Yeah, yeah. anybody could do it. This next sentence is making me. <laughs> I know. Can I please, please let me read this? Yeah. A vacation to Easter Island, known for its mysterious and ancient statues, inspired Ackroyd to bring all of these elements together. Were it. <laughs> Flying to the Easter Island and lighting up a huge doobie and like suddenly everything is like falling into place. Had it not been for <laughs> for the simple Moai, we wouldn't have the Just looking at the statues and like remembering all these like distinct elements. Yeah, the, the weird <laughs> French guys, the... Uh, the the alien skit and the big heads and just really it's just like really falling into space uh falling into place i i was i'm i'm already on the space yeah. trip as well here just looking up at, at one of the moai statues and going wouldn't it be really <laughs> funny if that was a french guy <laughs> it would be really funny if that was a french guy <laughs> Michael's suggestion, the lawyer concept would be dropped for a more familial feel. Lauren said, yeah, but what if they're stuck in the suburbs and having to blend in? Which is the brilliant twist <laughs> Aykroyd later explained. <laughs> no one but Lauren could have thought of this. <laughs> you know of the... You, you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We, we're making fun of like them coming up with these with these ideas and like feeling like geniuses for that. But I just remembered that fucking, what's the West Wing, guy, Wing guy's name? Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin had a show that was exactly this. <laughs> which was, uh, it was, it was famously a huge flop because it was, uh, what the fuck was the, uh, was that show called? Not the newsroom. Not the West Wing. Tell me what the other show is. Not Sports Night. Uh, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Uh, which was a show Aaron Sorkin did. They got exactly one season. 
and uh, the idea was uh, what if uh, what if the people writing for SNL were like just you know what what what's going on in their heads <laughs> I wonder what could get <laughs> them like... to come up with this <laughs> but it had like the same like Sorkin characters like the main writer is uh, is a recovering drug addict and alcoholic who's like you know putting his one of the main characters is uh, is Chandler from from friends great uh and uh you know it's the it's like this concept of like the genius uh, tortured genius character but they come up with they, they write for a shitty sketch comedy show <laughs> and they come up there's a couple of <laughs> they come up with what if a moai was french <laughs> <laughs> The alien patriarch Beldar was modeled off Aykroyd's own father. There's an outward kind of formality there, but in reality, Beldar is a cream puff. He's like the average American father trying to exert control, but really having one. But also French. But also French. Uh, let's see if there's anything else uh, that's... Oh yeah, the other insane stuff that I noticed, that I, I saw earlier, is... Um, Frank Zappa wrote a song about the Conan. We gotta talk about Frank Zappa! <laughs> There's a whole ass. Frank Zappa loves this shit. Frank Zappa went hog wild for the Coneheads. This is Frank Zappa is like arguably one of the coolest people in rock and roll. This is by far the least cool thing he's ever done. <laughs> he loves these guys. Frank Zappa looked at the Coneheads and said, "These are just funny little guys to me." I can't get enough. <laughs> he wrote a song called Coneheads. And he uh, he was uh, he was hosting SNL uh, where he performed it. Yep, so I'm looking at I'm looking at that's... screen caps of it as we speak. <laughs> didn't he get banned? This is like didn't he get banned from SNL after that? Really? I th- something there was something. Hold on. Hold on. The, yeah, he was banned, yeah. The embarrassing reason Frank Zappa was banned from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> so, Why? What did he do? Uh, let's see here. Well, this says, uh, known for his creativity, the singer was expected to land with a flash and a bang. Unfortunately, he did neither and was promptly banned from the show. Banned by the show from ever appearing again. Um, let me see. I gotta, I gotta go here. Um, like, he was just a musical performer, right? Or was he supposed to, like... Did he host the show so badly, I guess? Yeah, I, okay, well, here we go. Oh, originally welcome to SNL as the featured musical guest, Zappa also took up hosting duties in what can only be described as a cringeworthy scenario. Looking like a fish out of water, the singer has never been one to really enjoy television. Zappa, uh, Zappa struggled to interact with the production staff of SNL before the show aired, and therefore lacked any real connection. In fact, the musician seemingly made it his overall goal to avoid contact with anybody associated with the show in the build-up to his big moment. Clearly out of his comfort zone and unsure how to conform to SNL's strict guidelines and his own moral compass, <laughs> Zappa decided the best approach for him to take on the biggest stage of, was one of non-conformity, a stance that goes in line with his prolific career of avoiding the mainstream. It's a bold statement, but not one that would have translated across the universe. Kicking things off, Zappa starts the show by reminding the audience to keep in mind that he is reading off of cue cards and from there <laughs> continue to hammer home the fact that he is not taking a position as host of the Fuck show yes. with any sincerity yeah, or adding any creativity. <laughs> Lorne Michaels is a coward. 
this is the direction the SNL should have gone. Like, I think, you know, this is like some fucking uh, Norm Macdonald on the Comedy Central roast shit, where like just utter contempt. Get someone on this. Yeah, yeah. The, Fr- Frank Zappa is so valid for this. I, I take it back. It's uh, maybe he was playing the long game by pretending to be a Coneheads fan so he can bring down SNL. <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear some of the some of the lyrics to the uh, to Coneheads? Please, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the episode. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. We'll do that. We'll put it in the outro or something. Oh yeah, Conehead. She ain't really dumb. She's just a conehead. Tater chip crumbs all over her face. Is there any more beer stashed away at her place? She's just a conehead. She can't help herself. She's a conehead kind of girl. Ha ha ha. Picture a ring. That is the thing. That's getting her hot. Uh, a hoop or a ring. Going over the top of her cone head. She is from a small town in France. <laughs> and she's a cone head kind of girl, kind of guy. That's what she gives me is... Uh-oh. Cone head. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, cone head. When she's on her knees, the point is too high. Hi. <laughs> I keep saying, please, keep it out of my eye. Because she's a cone head. She's a cone head kind of girl, kind of guy. Kind of girl thing. What was the first verse? <laughs> Second verse, Saturday night, you're home alone. Oh my god. The TV lights up as her dad comes home. (laughs) He's been working all day at the driving school. Yep, he sure has. In a stupid looking hat that he uses to fool the people of Earth who might get back if they knew he was really from Remulac. Where the conehead people are from, where the conehead people go to. When the conehead people are down with their conehead, things are fun. Connie the Cone is dressed real neat like a teenage girl from down the street. But mom and dad, they don't approve. Carbohydrates is all they groove. Me too. He really, Frank Zephyr really put his whole pussy in the lyrics of this song. He's serving Cone. <laughs> Putting in all the references. The driving school is in there. The Remulac is in there. There's a reference to Saturday Night Live. Fantastic. Tremendous. And looking at this picture of Frank Zappa in a Conehead sketch is just bizarre. It's just... It is. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> That's a game changer. <laughs> There's just so much to... There's a lot... With this whole thing, right? Yep. There's just a lot with this entire movie and everything that goes into it and everything that surrounds it and everything that it is. Yeah, we haven't even really talked about the actual movie. So we've talked about the origins of the Conehead. Let's skip ahead to 1993 and this uh, this movie. Uh, the the thing that, that, that I think is interesting about like reading this backstory, though, about how the Coneheads got made and what the regular jokes were. Oh, there's a bit on... On the Wikipedia for for the Coneheads, mm-hmm. uh, where I do really like this this sentence here that says, Then Aykroyd said he was inspired to create the Coneheads by marijuana consumption. Citation needed. <laughs> um, Pretty good. But yeah, there's, there's a section here which you know it's good. You know it's really funny. When uh, Wikipedia has a section called Sources of Humor. <laughs> says uh, a character's humor derives from three sources one their manner of speech two 
their strange behavior. And three, the casual acceptance of the first two by their neighbor and associates. It's so it's so simple. Yeah. It's like caveman humor. But you think when you bring back the Coneheads after 15 years for a feature movie, <laughs> you'd think there's gonna be some new twist to the formula. But apparently all the jokes in the movie have all been, like, already been there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even the, even the catchphrases of, um, it says somewhere here that, uh, yeah, manner of speech, uh, they refer to food as consumables and say, I summon you when asking to speak to another person. Like, all the, all the catchphrases they have, yep. have already been there, right? Saying, uh, consume... Mass, mass quantities of consumption, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's their way of saying uh, munching on some grindage. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have to change the name of our folder to consumables? <laughs> <laughs> this is really, like, one of the main sources of comedy across history is saying funny words for food. That's very true. <laughs> Weird that Yankovic built his entire career on that. He did do that. He did that. <laughs> and we're all the better for it. Also, I think. So we're in 1993. Oh god. Oh, also, I think coming up with funny ways to to say "shut up," like, because <laughs> they've got maintained low tones. <laughs> I'd be telling people to maintain low tones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they consume mass quantities. Whatever. Um, they eat funny. Do you think the uh, the 1970s version of uh, of the of what would be like the the 2010s uh, making the Rick and Morty voice or the uh, or the 90s version or the 90s uh, making the Beavis and Butthead voice. And I think that... I-, I wonder if the 1970s version is making the Conehead voice. Oh my god. Like, it's gotta be, right? I mean, I mean it's kind of late into the 70s, so there's gotta be something yeah. before it, but like, it's gotta be this. We had... We went from... We went from Conehead voice... To like, I don't fucking know Skeletor voice to Beavis yeah. and Butthead voice, which I want to talk about Beavis and Butthead at the end of this episode. Um, okay, don't That's do not let me forget <laughs> to Eric Cartman voice to Rick yes. and Morty voice. I, mean, I I skipped that one. Yeah. Um, um, what's the What's the current one? Is is it what is, is it is still Rick and Morty voice the ruling one or is that? I don't know. I haven't heard Rick and Morty voice in a while. I feel like that was yeah, like yeah, like more 2018 thing. It just feels like I mean, this is my ongoing thesis: is that uh, is that all all culture ended in like 2019? <laughs> because I don't think anything happened since then. Like, yeah, um, I wonder why. Um, I guess making Trump voice could be one, but I don't know. But th- that was also simultaneous with Rick and Morty. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, I keep wanting to say Borat voice, but Borat voice was, like, between Eric Cartman that and Rick was, and Morty. Yeah. yeah. And then he had, like, yeah, I, think, I think he had kind of a resurgence not too long ago, but, like, not... Yeah. It was very short um, and not as widespread. Yeah, I mean, there was an ironic Borat resurgence. Exactly, yeah, the ironic, Borat yeah. Borat 2 got made, and I think that killed it, probably. Yeah. <sighs> um, I don't know. There's, I think, you know, Beavis and Butthead are back on TV. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, like, that's returning. 
Uh, that's that's one of the things I've been up to between this and the last season of uh, of Sicko and Ebert is like getting into Mike Judge's funny cartoon. Oh yeah, <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I uh, yeah, it just feels like everything that like is right now, like post Rick and Morty, is just uh, is just a. Uh, regurgitation of like all the culture yeah we really don't have a funny little guy voice right now that's so sad write us in if you if we if we miss like a funny guy voice that is out there send us because i genuinely cannot think of one yeah send us as many funny little guy voices as you can think of (laughs) i want to i (laughs) i want to anthropologically track the the chronological ascension of funny guy voices the progress of funny guy voices through the years. Um, yeah. So, I mean, okay, so here's my thing. I have nothing to say about this movie. <laughs> I've already said everything that I have to say about the plot of this movie, about the conceit of this movie, um, about the my reaction to talk it. Around, everything we can say about this movie is talking in circles around it, like talking about all the associated things like we talked a bunch about like the backstory Mm -hmm. and the backstory of the backstory and we can talk about the you know the the reception of the movie we can talk about all the people who were in the movie Mm -hmm. um because as we said like there's there's a this is a bonkers list of comedic favors that lorne michael has pulled yeah Um, lorne michaels had dirt on so many people yep (laughs) but the actual the actual plot or the things happening in this movie are so inconsequential. Here's what's hap- what happens, right? Um, you can go through... The yeah. Conan's land on Earth. Uh, they... They work for funny Sinbad. <laughs> they sure do. Uh, but they discover... Or he discovers that they don't have a social security number because he assumes they're illegal Im- immigrants from France. <laughs> I would too. So, Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. some fake IDs. <laughs> and uh, Michael McKean of many funny things. He's not funny in this one. No. But he's like, Michael McKean is like one of the funniest. Like consistently like, or not even like consistently funniest, but like consistently as like, working with some of the funniest people like he did a bunch of stuff with christopher guest right mm-hmm. like, he was in spinal tap yeah. he was in uh, in all of the christopher guest movies right mm-hmm. he was in clue uh he was in uh fucking he's in better call Saul. <laughs> yeah. um he's in like a solid 45 percent of things yeah. yeah he's in this one as the antagonist uh he's trying to hunt them and this is it has like this central theme, I guess, <laughs> of, like, immigrants. Yeah. Uh, Which is interesting like, to see from an American perspective, because this is before ICE was invented. So, yeah. we don't, like, I mean, nowadays, they would be shot in the street. um, Which isn't funny, and doesn't make for a movie. But we have Michael McKeon, um... <sighs> And I guess that's marginally funnier. He isn't funny in this, but it's funnier than Ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's just, like, one cop who is, like, dead set on uh, on eliminating illegal immigrants. Yeah. 
I mean, he's he's more dead set on advancing his career, but his his career yeah. is based around eliminating illegal Im- illegal immigrants. And David Spade is his funny assistant. <laughs> David Spade is his funny assistant. Can I tell you? Can um, I tell you one of my my deep dark cringe secrets? Please. Um, two two deep dark cringe secrets that I've held within me. You already know one, which is that I was big into Limp Biscuit when I was thirteen. Um, yes. I tell these to nobody. My other one. And I, you, when I tell you this, and this goes for both you, Janos, and everybody listening to this, you're not allowed to judge me when I tell you this. I like David Spade. I tend to enjoy him. (laughs) (laughs) Listen. He was perfectly enjoyable. He was. Um, He's good when he's playing a little rat man. Because he is a little rat man. He is. (laughs) So... So he's playing a little rat man assistant who kisses his ass and, um, whatever. It's so wild that Sinbad is his boss, like... S- fucking that Sinbad! Was, that was my first, like, pointing at the screen <laughs> moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... He's like... It's insane! It's, yes. it's insane watching the opening credits and seeing all of yeah. these names come up. And being like, what the fuck is this? And then you see them and they're all in such tiny little parts. And like Sinbad especially, he came in so early in the movie and he was only in it for like 10 minutes. And I was like... Yeah, Sinbad is in it at the beginning and then there's an anime time skip. Yeah. uh, Until like 18 years later. Yeah. Until until their daughter is... Because in the beginning, you know, they... they, Sinbad Sinbad and Adam Sandler and... uh, One other guy, I don't remember, (laughs) uh, like helped them in their... Uh, fake immigration post process. The cop tries to hunt them. Um, the wife, Primat, mm-hmm. is um, is with Cone. Yeah. There's a pretty disgusting birthing scene. Yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> Everybody's. I watched Freddy Got Fingered recently. <laughs> uh, and that had that had the most like repulsive childbirth scene i have ever seen did you have a good time compared to that this was tame did you have a good time watching freddy got fingered i (laughs) i don't know i I laughed a lot like there were a lot of like genuinely laugh out loud moments in it but it was like it was like watching like one i think you should leave sketch like stretched out to a to a full movie like it had (laughs) It had that energy. Uh, it, it, fucking Tom Green just has like an unmatched energy in that movie. Where like there's a childbirth scene where he's like, in, he's like faking as like being a doctor and like he's wants to cut the umbilical cord of like this random woman whose room he stumbles into and he's just like trying, starting to like swing around the child like on the umbilical cord. Like it's just so. <sighs> It's like, watching Freddy Got Fingered is like the thing where you don't know if this is actually funny or if you're just laughing as a stress reaction. Yeah. I, I did see Freddy Got Fingered in the theater when it came out. I was... Fantastic. I think I was 12. Pretty great. Oh, no. Pretty great. <laughs> did you like when he jacked off the elephant? It was really funny when he jerked off the elephant. <laughs> and it sprayed him all over with, with funny elephant cum. So, Simba and... Uh, it helps them in their immigration process, and then they birth the child. It's horrible. 
and uh, and then we have a time skip where a child is 18 years old, and then the cop like comes back and trying to hunt them again. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, but now after the time skip, their uh, their neighbors are George Costanza. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he here? Why is everybody in this movie? What the fuck? Jason Alexander is the neighbor. Um, I want to hold on. I want to. I need to see something real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Okay. Well. Okay. No. Okay. So Jason Alexander is in this movie. He's playing the next door neighbor, who's like supposed yes. to be like suburban dad age, right? He's like a suburban dad. When this movie was made. Jason Alexander was my age right now. Okay. <laughs> I just want to put that into perspective. <laughs> I think Jason Alexander is like one of those guys who always looked middle-aged. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Alexander Jason Alexander <laughs> has been at least 43 years old. Yeah. Since he was in kindergarten. He's, uh, he's wearing a hairpiece here. Oh, yeah. Um, but, like, canonically, right? Uh-huh. Like, he's, uh, yeah. there's a bit where he's trying to convince uh, Mr. Conehead mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to get a hairpiece. Because you, you don't even notice with him. Yeah, you don't even notice. Um, um, their, uh, their daughter is... And then that's the rest of the movie, basically. Yeah. And then there's, a, then there's a romantic plot with uh, Chris Farley. Yeah, baby Chris Farley... And this is his first ever like his first ever film role was in uh was a very minor role in Wayne's World. Yeah. But this is his first like star or like major role. It's so crazy. I thought like you know at that at the point where he gets introduced, you've already seen Sinbad be on screen for 10 minutes. You've seen yeah. Eddie Griffin <laughs> in line for 6 <laughs> seconds. Um you've seen Which... Jason Alexander, you've seen Adam Sandler. I thought Chris yeah. Farley was going to be just another like one and done, you know. Yeah, absolutely. He's just the he's just the auto We've seen mechanic guy. We've all seen him in the credits. Yeah. But we're like, okay, we get it. It's it's going to be a, it's going to be a be a minor role, but this is no, he's playing the he's playing the high school boyfriend mm-hmm. part, which is kind of an insane role for Chris Farley. I think it's I, 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 I told to my girlfriend while watching this that this this must have been like historically the last moment Chris Farley could play a high school love interest. <laughs> yeah. He was twenty nine. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's Have you seen that the one thing that I had to that this the Chris Farley character reminded me is uh he played there was one notorious episode of SNL. I don't know if you've seen this clip. There was one notorious episode of SNL hosted by Steven Seagal. Uh-huh. Uh, he was, similarly to Frank Zappa, he was also banned from SNL yeah. forever after that yeah. occasion because he did an awful job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, there was one sketch where the idea was supposed to be that he's the dad and Chris Farley is supposed to take his daughter to prom. Yeah. Um, so there's the classic, I guess in America, this is a thing that happens a lot, according to movies and uh, SNL sketches. And t-shirts. And t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's interviewing the 
the the child the, the the boyfriend if he's fit to take his daughter to prom <laughs> the child of chris farley the child of chris farley <laughs> and the the joke is supposed to be that the joke the joke of the sketch was originally supposed to be like the way it was written is that he jumps between like uh fun sitcom dad to uh steven seagal uh cia agent uh character yeah action man like the action character, like the character he plays in every movie, uh-huh. but he just refused to play along so hard that he just played the, he just played the like CIA action, Steven Seagal character throughout the entire sketch. Yeah, which made like everyone like Chris Farley was like had such a hard time like reacting to him God. in a way that anything made sense. Yeah, I've se- I don't think I've seen the entire sketch, but I've seen like bits of it. Oh, it's unwatchable. Yeah, I, I don't want to see the whole thing. <laughs> like, it's really bad. <laughs> but it is almost worth, like, looking up at least a little bit. Because it's so bewildering. Yeah. But that's that's what that's what this character made me think of. <laughs> Great memories. He's, you know, Chris Farley, rest in peace. He's, he's alright in this. Yeah, he's fine. I think, I do think Sinbad is, like, one of the shining lights of this movie. Like, he wasn't in it a lot. Yeah. But uh, he has such a great presence. Like, I don't he even does, think yeah. he said anything funny. Yeah. But <laughs> He's just got a good energy. He's got good vibes. Yeah. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't love a nice Sinbad vibe? Um, the opposite of that is Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> so it hit for <laughs> one scene. She has three lines. She plays the teenage daughter's swimming coach. And the first time she said something, I was like... I, I kind of wasn't looking directly at the screen because I was doing my puzzle at the same time, as I said, because Roy's be doing mm. their damn puzzle. And um, I heard, but I heard her talk and I saw like a blonde lady and I was like, that sounds like Ellen. That'd be crazy. And then like, I looked back the next time and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Motherfucker, that is Ellen. So embryonic Ellen DeGeneres is in this, as well as everybody the fuck else. Who's in this? Tom Arnold shows up for s- four seconds. Yeah, Fut- Tom Arnold, future sicko Tom credited role according yeah. to uh, according to um, the Wikipedia cast list. Uh, fucking <sighs> Kramer was in it for like oh yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Like just as a guy at the. At the like car repair thing where Chris Farley works, like that was, yep, that was his entire bit. Uh, fucking Drew Carey was in it. Yeah, I think uh, a I think he was the, if I remember correctly he was the guy that got in his taxi. Yep, like uh, <laughs> another fucking waste of someone <laughs> who could have said something funny. Yeah, um, Kevin Nealon was in it for half a second. Um. Uh, John Lovitz played as dentist in that funny scene. Yep. <laughs> oh, that was that was some fucking uh, Artemis Fowl. <laughs> What's that actor's name? Who fucking cares? The big mouth gnome man from Artemis. The big Fowl. mouth Artemis Fowl guy. Like it had the exact same energy with like the way like his mouth was unhinged and then like fucking. This whole movie goes on, and then in the end they go back to uh, Remulac and 
there's there's antics there's alien shenanigans they bring there's antics there's there's a there's a cool practical effect with the with the monster he has yeah. to fight there yeah they make him fight a monster um they bring um the they make him narfle the garth dog yeah which sounds like a Polly shore phrase um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also sounds something that could have been a lady in the water yeah <laughs> That was my favorite part when Paul Giamatti narfled the car. <laughs> what if Paul Giamatti played a conehead? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I would. Parker Posey was apparently in, as you don't remember. I feel like I feel like you could play a game where you list yeah. like four actors and you have to guess which one wasn't <laughs> in Coneheads. Yeah. It's insane. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, <sighs> the review, like, bit kind of sucked. Like, I yeah. think, I think that's where the movie really went down here. Cause like up to that point, like the fish out of water stuff, even though it's the exact same thing that was apparently the joke of the SNL stuff. But the thing that makes, the thing that makes it a little bit chuckle worthy, right? Mm-hmm. But it has the same energy as like, as I said, like a, like a mid, like a mid tier newspaper comic strip right yeah where the joke would be that they're aliens but people react to them normally mm-hmm. but like that stuff is fine yeah that stuff is like amusing once they're on remulac it completely loses the thing that would have made it funny like the thing that was like the main comedic conceit you gotta understand the real conehead heads in the audience were begging to see remulac <laughs> i'm sure they did <laughs> frank zappa fucking <laughs> Frank Zappa, I'm sure this, like, well, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to do math here. Okay, yeah, Coneheads would have been probably one of the last movies that Frank Zappa got to see. (laughs) He lived to see it. They put this in there just for him. (laughs) I'm surprised he didn't get a cameo. I mean, he was banned. He was banned. (laughs) <laughs> Being banned from the set of SNL means you're banned from all of the <laughs> SNL movies. Yeah. Um. Uh, and then they like. Oh yeah! Oh oh oh! Phil Hartman is also in this as like his Great. his boss, Conehead. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like when they when they're on the rem, you're like because on the earth stuff it's like they say a weird thing and then everyone reacts to it yeah or like doesn't react to it and then that's the funny thing here like everyone just says weird things yeah and with like no context so if they say shit like narfle the remulac like it's or narfle the garthok it's like okay what am i supposed to do with that yeah like okay cool maybe i ain't reading all that good for you unless it's bad you know (laughs) And then the big like payoff to this is that um, that Dan Aykroyd, Mr. Conehead, uh, defeats the Ga- Narfles the Garthok by uh, by landing a golf shot because that's what he was golfing when he was on Earth. Uh, and yeah, the big like thematic payoff is that uh, you know on Earth he learned the technique of golfing and that helped him. Uh, Narfle the Garthok yeah. successfully. Being being uh, a and... being a suburban American dad 
yep. saved his life, um, and that's what we should all aspire to. Uh, they brought, um, they bring, uh, uh, Michael McKeon and David Spade to Remulac as, like, prisoners, and mm. the, um, fucking, I don't President Conehead is like, uh, okay, well, you Norfolk the Garthak uh, successfully, you, you get to, we're gonna let you do whatever the fuck you want, um, and he <laughs> says, he says, okay, well, I want to go back to Earth and conquer it with Spongebob under the truck, and then he, um, he also says, I want to bring the, the humans back back with me. And uh, President Conehead says, no, you can bring one. So he says, all right, well, I'm bringing back the one um, that has shown time and again that he hates immigrants and um, would rather... Uh, I, need to, I need to bring him back because he has a character arc now. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> but then David Spade has to stay. But then David Spade also gets to stay behind and kiss alien ass now. So works for him. He becomes he becomes the the uh, professional suck up to President Conehead. <laughs> Which... Is there just no fucking point in like critiquing any of the individual plot bits of this movie? There isn't because it's so thin. Yeah. It's so it's so clearly just like a stretched out sketch, right? Like it's not, you know, as much as we fucking hated uh, Reckless Kelly, mm-hmm. right? At least all the bad bits in Reckless Kelly were like just really weird choices. Yeah, that Yahoo series made. In this one, everything is like, eh, okay, <laughs> I guess that's something. Yeah, we're doing whatever. Reckless Kelly was infuriating because it was weird bad choices being made and then were tried to be passed off as like art you know like a statement that he's making this this doesn't have that pretension you know this isn't trying to be like oh this is high art funny Beldar conehead shoot a golf ball at creature isn't art this is here for you to laugh at um it's not trying to be something that it isn't, um, which is like a low bar. It's a very, very low. The bar's on the floor, but at least that makes it <laughs> reckless, Kelly. But that's not hard. But also, it's like we're saying this, but it's not unenjoyable. I mean, we've already talked about that. It's just it. It is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not unwatchable, right? right? It's here's what here's what Roger Ebert had to say about Coneheads. He gave this one and a half stars out of four. Um, he said, <laughs> like the opening paragraph, the funniest thing about the old Conehead sketches on Saturday Night Live wasn't what they said or what they did, but that they were. <laughs> they stood around with their big, bold, pointy heads, and almost anything they did seemed funny because they looked funny doing it. <laughs> This is comedy appreciator Roger Ebert. <laughs> this guy gets it. Like <laughs> now we have Coneheads, the movie, which proves that if you're going to stretch a sketch to feature length, even if only to barely ninety minutes, it's going to take more than pointy heads to make it funny. <laughs> this is a dismal, dreary, and fairly desperate movie, which the actors try very hard but are unable to overcome an uninspired screenplay. And uh, and then he basically like, you know says the same things that 
I like the way he describes the gags here. He says there are lots of side gags involving the Conan's peculiar eating habits. Um, their diet lends toward very basic carbohydrates such as rolls of toilet paper and so on. <laughs> <laughs> but then he says basically the same thing with it. Like he says, the movie is basically just a curious series of events on the screen. Yeah. Recording the behavior of these strange characters in their bizarre ways. Events don't build into comedy. Not much is really funny. The story is without purpose. There's nothing for us to care about, even in a comedic way. Uh, not all sketches are destined for feature length. <laughs> I, I, I'd argue none of them. <laughs> Coneheads has essentially taken nine minutes of material and multiplied the running time by ten by adding nothing to the inspiration. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's gonna be, like, every single, every following one of these just, like, worse. Yeah. I think, like, what was the thing, what was the line, not all sketches are destined for or whatever it is yeah, yeah destined for feature length yeah or destined for feature length like that's that's quaint now we're gonna get to night at the roxbury and be like you had no idea <laughs> yeah <laughs> roger you couldn't possibly have known <laughs> where this would go god i there's a there's one thing that if we're talking about Things that are, because as I said, there's not a lot to talk about, like the movie. There's a lot of things, like, attached to the movie mm-hmm. that. God. I'm just looking at the soundtrack here. Oh, uh, yeah. The main one is Tainted Love by Soft Cell. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a recurring bit. So is. There's a bit at the end where. Uh, where Mr. Conehead is, you know, at, at the bit where he climactically def- narfles the Garthok, mm-hmm. uh, he starts singing Tainted Love, but he's singing the uh-uh bit, mm-hmm. bits with it, which got, like, almost got a chuckle out of me. <laughs> <laughs> very nearly. You very nearly escaped a chuckle. Um, uh, there's also, there's also a, I think it happens twice, bit with, um, some some red hot chili peppers. Yep, yep. They're here. Salt to squeeze while yep. the red hot chili peppers is on it. Yep. Um, Codechrome by Paul Simon plays during the like montage mm-hmm. where uh, where uh, the daughter is growing up, where Connie grows up. Yep. Uh, there's a there's a cover of Can't Take My Eyes My Eyes Off of You at the during the end credits by Morton Harkett of Aha. <laughs> could have put in the Frankie Valli song. I don't know. Nah. <laughs> I don't think Morton Harkett had that much of a relevance in, like, 1993. Says like, you. I'm saying this is an aha enjoyer. <laughs> There's a cover of Fight the Power by Bare Naked Ladies. I don't remember that. I don't remember that either. I heard, I saw that in the list and I was like, yeah. when? <laughs> That's in the director's cut. Yeah, maybe. I mean, sometimes they put stuff on soundtracks that um that don't appear in the movie yeah uh maybe they got maybe they got the uh the lovable lads from uh, canada <laughs> to uh, cover a public enemy song <laughs> soundtrack <laughs> uh, there's one bit in the reception section mm-hmm. here uh <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I do like this quote from uh, from from the Rotten Tomatoes review consensus saying listless, crude, and overall uninspired. Coneless offers further evidence that stretching an SNL sketch to feature length can be tougher than narfling a Garth talk. <laughs> Just couldn't miss out on that one. <laughs> Someone had to. Somebody was gonna. Also, did uh, you fucking say coneless? <laughs> Coneless move. <laughs> Coneless behavior. <laughs> Audiences surveyed by CinemaScore gave the film a grade of B plus. Okay. So, that sounds about right. One... Yeah, Frank Frank Zappa walking out. <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. I wouldn't write. I wouldn't write a sequel to my original song <laughs> in the movie. But... <coughs> and then it says, "This is a bonker sentence." On this is the last sentence of this reception section. Oh my god! The film received some critical reevaluation during the 2010s, with multiple writers noting its satirical take on an immigrant family experience and immigration enforcement meant as an exaggeration of Reagan era politics became eerily politically relevant following the September 11 attacks. I am <laughs> personally uh-huh. fucking flabbergasted that I and they're probably out there haven't encountered multiple think pieces about this movie in relation to orange man politics um because there's the whole bit where michael mckeon bad is talking about putting like shock collars on um uh mexican immigrants and like shocking them when they try to cross the border a second time um let me actually you know what now i have to see if there's think pieces coneheads well, there Wikipedia does link to two. Okay. Well, do, well, are they are they are they are they from the early 2010s or are they from the late this 2010s? This one was. This one is from. Here's the thing. This one is from November 2017. Okay. So just as just as Orange Man, Drumpf got elected. Okay. Great. Um, perfect. And this one is this one is from Vice. Okay. I'm gonna link this to you. This one is from Vice saying. Does Coneheads actually suck? Great. Don't laugh, but the forgotten SNL comedy film has actually taken on a new political relevance. It's over, Coneheads. Police vehicles flash red and blue as dozens of gun-totting law enforcement mount a blockade outside a single-family home. Sirens and bullhorn piece uh, the night quiet of an ordinary suburban cul-de-sac as an anxious trench-coated figure advances on a frightened family. It's over, Coneheads, he declares, brandishing his government badge. This is the INS. I ha- Please let me read this next paragraph. Please, yeah. The moment from 1993's forgotten alien comedy Coneheads showcases a tense immigration raid, an all-too-familiar narrative in 2017, when ICE agents wormed their ways into schools, hospitals, and courtrooms to, immediate- to, in- to intimidate and seize vulnerable, undocumented civilians. Saturday Night Live. This next fucking sentence. <laughs> this next sentence makes me 
I'm gonna fucking- oh my god, okay. Saturday Night Live has been a key player in the anti-Trump resistance. Uh-huh. Has it? And even a 25-year- 2017 Vice. And even a 25-year-old comedy based on one of the show's original sketches still manages to take down the bluster of the administration. Does it, you motherfucker? Does it, Robin Barr? Of Vice.com? But the thing is... The whole... Yes, there is obviously some... You know... There's some bits of obvious, like, themes... Mm-hmm. Of immigration, right? Like, they say I'm an illegal alien, and the joke is that they're literally an alien from an alien planet. Yeah. But the whole message of the movie is that they go to Earth, and they actually like it more there mm-hmm. and they by becoming american and learning to golf they can even not for the garthok it's like <laughs> kind of a shitty message to make it about how america is like makes you better if you move there as an immigrant we shouldn't hunt them because they become true blood americans even though they still say things weird you know even though they're french <laughs> yeah even though they're french if they completely abandon everything that makes them tied to their original culture, you know, their culture. Heads yeah. Released and critically askewed eight years before the September 11th attacks redefined the way the United States views newcomers. Is an unusually sharp immigration satire that predicted the rise of terror paranoia that has shaped American politics since the new millennium. It's also quite possibly... The 90s is smartest dumb comedy about the seductive qualities of suburban conformity and the American dream. It must be so fucking easy to be a culture writer. <laughs> I... And this is vice. Like, this isn't fucking clickhole. How do you... vice isn't, like, quality journalism. But come the fuck on. It's the liberal brainworm that, like, lets you, allows you to think this far into something, but then no further. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's withdrawing parallels and then conveniently ignoring, like, everything. Like, you can make everything seem like everything else if you really want to. Mm-hmm. If you, like, conveniently ignore the parts that aren't. Like, yeah. Predicted the rise of terror paranoia. Like, here's the thing. There's this bit, there's this, uh, like, this is a, this is a, it's a commonly, like, accepted thing in, like, surveillance studies that, um, that surveillance in America, like, in, you know, in general has changed through, like, after 9-11 in many ways. Mm-hmm. But the point is that it has become, like, you know, through the, um, uh, what's the, what's the, what, what's that act called? Patriot Act? Yeah. Yeah. Like with with the Patriot Act that it 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 established a like kind of like compartmental like a, a kind of surveillance system that is like broken down in its tiniest bits. Like every every bit of our life is being observed and is being like broken down as you're being like as 
as people being like breaking broken down into data yeah basically yeah and the your governments have like you know all your like you know and it's it goes in with like your id with your credit cards with your health insurance with everything everything is a uh, you know everything is like being broken down and you're being observed in the name of uh well you wouldn't do a crime mm-hmm. so it's fine if we observe everything single aspect of you and we break them down and like through the patriot act it became like more of a centralized more of an a, a more of an authoritative system in the name of like fighting terrorism but it was like a huge like the the point is that there's like a huge system going on that observes like every single one of them in this movie there's like one cop who has a grudge against like this one guy yeah like this is not a smart this didn't predict the way 9-11 changed you know their like racial profiling yeah of immigrants right yeah like, there's nothing of that there's even even more so it's like the whole joke is that nobody remarks on their cone heads. Yeah. Like this is the exact opposite of racial profiling. Yeah, what the fuck? The slightest thing is, you know, not traditionally American about you. Oh my god. This People pick gets up on it. It's, this is fucking horrible. This just gets worse because it says, um, you know, it describes what happens basically, mm-hmm. and then it says, um, it says, okay, so it says, based on recurring 1970s SNL characters, uh, they are a pair of mated aliens who illegally crash land in New York Harbor during a reconnaissance mission for their planet. Uh, Remulac. Um, humanoids sporting long-pointed bolt scars. Uh, their goal is both to study Earth for future conquest, dot, 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 and figure out how to reconnect Remulac for the rescue. Essentially, they are trapped terrorist sleeper agents who now must learn to live amongst the blunt scars. Like, this is this is really bad if you make this, if you try to make this a 9-11 metaphor. Yeah. Because they're like, actually, their mission actually is to destroy Earth, and they choose not to do so. But like, if you use this as, a, as an allegory for like, Muslims during 9-11, like, it's really bad. It's really, really fucking, fucking bad. bad, yeah. You can't just, like, like, I can't get my head around what that blockage is that keeps you from examining this further. And it's just liberal brain. Like, it's just. It's just fucking, it's just really bad literacy. Yeah. it's, (laughs) It's mainly that. Like, you, you can't, you can't, like, it's. It's like you have a thesis statement and then you bend everything around that for that to work for you without like actually like examining what that means. Yeah. It's like you 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 reach these conclusions but then you don't ask any further questions about them. You just kind of sit there and you're smug about, "Oh, I figured it out." You know, and bef- yeah. without without, you know, trying to think about the deeper connotations of it or the the uh, implications of it and it's not like it doesn't make you a genius for discovering that this movie satirizes immigration policy in some ways like yeah it's, it's like not... <laughs> you don't discover anything like deeper in it by making it like a 9-11 or 
Trump immigration policy uh-huh. like thing like by making it like oh this is actually really smart about immigrants like that just yeah it's like yeah no shit it's a it's got you know no shit you can make a metaphor about immigration about it there's like it the main antagonist is literally from uh ins like yeah duh you're not a genius but you're not thinking any further about like what conclusions it actually reaches, um, why it's trying to reach those conclusions, anything like that. It's just, like... (sighs) I don't fucking... I'm tired. (laughs) This is the first episode of this season, and I'm tired. Because I know, I know, that uh, since all of these movies are from SNL, all of them are going to have think pieces about them. I'm gonna have next week. I'm gonna have to read a goddamn "It's Pat" think piece, and that's time I'm never gonna get back. Yeah, was well, I feel like I feel like that might not. I wonder which ones of them will be able to have a critical reval or like not critical evaluation, but it's like here's the thing: liberals will make critical reevaluations of everything as long as they can feel yeah. like a genius about it afterwards. But I've been thinking about, like, I've been talking to uh, to to my friend Chaz about this, like with uh, with the way, like, people seem to be like Naruto House of the Dragon is out, uh, Hot D Fever, mm-hmm. uh, Hot D Sweep, um, Viserys Sweep, uh, Viserys Sleep, Viserys Sleep. Naruto Hot D is out. Uh, there's there 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 seems to be like some really deliberate misreadings of like every single theme yep. that the show has i've been talking to Chaz about this like why why did people become so bad at reading media yeah like why did literacy in like actual publications suddenly go so low mm-hmm. and it's it's just it's just this the effect of turning everything into content, right? Yeah. Like actual media criticism that would actually like take things apart on their own terms is just not just not going to be able to like generate as many clicks as something like um here. Here's why this bad movie is actually good or here's why this good thing is actually bad. Yeah. It's like, so I, yeah, yeah, because like a lot of the deeper um, conversations that are like the the um, the things like that that you can draw out of it are like they're more nuanced and they involve a lot more than you can boil down into like a snappy little title like "Does Coneheads Actually Suck?" You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's. Yeah, it's, like, and you can do this, like, you could fucking bend Reckless Kelly in a way where here's why this is actually, uh, this movie actually makes really good, like, environmentalist satire, when, like, as we said, like, if we, lo- if we look at it on its own terms, yes, it tries to do environmentalism, but in a really misguided way. And, yeah. like, the way, you know, with the, the when when it tries to be, like, you know, anti-colonialist about, like, the Australian flag, but, like, accidentally makes it jingoistic, right? <laughs> yeah! It's... But, 
<laughs> but that's not gonna sell. Like taking apart something that's bad and like yeah, this is actually bad. Like that's not gonna that's not gonna generate as many clicks as uh, here's my coneheads was actually really smart. Yeah. <laughs> like I think even if it like yes, it does. Yes, it does make, uh, or it does try to, uh, you know, poke fun of or criticize Reagan-era immigration politics. Uh, but it does it in a very, like, you know, patriotic way. Like, yeah. Th- th- in the sense that they become Americanized. Yeah. It's, so, it's like, and that's, like... One thing that I notice a lot about these, like, this type of think piece is that when they analyze a, a piece of media, a lot of the time they'll just kind of, they'll analyze it on this assumption that whatever the media is, is, like, successfully portraying something. When a lot of the times things are just bad at portraying whatever it is, like they're they they yeah. fumble the theme or they come out with like a bad conclusion, but that's like never really taken into account in this type of this type of analysis in think piece analysis. <laughs> like one other one other think piece from 2011 that the that Wikipedia links, and I don't want to like go through all of the points. It also does like make make 9-11 comparisons, but there's a bonkers footnote here um, that this article is called The Conehead's Prophecy, how a kind of crappy movie predicted the future of America and ripened into relevancy. And it's, you can't really feel the difference between this and the other one. Like, the other one is 2017, like, click piece. This is, this is a cracked.com type. Uh, here's all these missed things mm-hmm. from this old classic movie like this is a more yeah obama era article yeah. I guess. <laughs> but there's a footnote here that says um a note must be made on the endearing hyperliteral vernacular the coneheads adopt in itself it's a delightful examination of the primitiveness of what we accept as mundane and rational instead of a lunch break Beldar takes a midday cessation of activity for protein carbo intake primat feeds him re-irradiated leftover starch disc with a stern warning not to Sear the top of your neck hole with the molten lactate extract of hoofed mammals. Later in the movie, at breakfast, they have grid-like breakfast slabs, extruded mammal fillings, seared swine flesh, and flattened chicken embryos. This gives their foreignness an extra shot of charm and lends voice to the strange process of assimilation. And here's where, here's where this fucking took me, like... So, the next sentence here says, It's a technique that was elevated to an art form by David Foster Wallace in subsequent years, implemented to emphasize domestic exoticness in his experiment experiential postcards. A funnel cake becomes cake batter quick fried to a tornadic spiral and rolled in sugared butter. Elephant ear an album-sized expensive alt-fried dough with the sickly soft texture of adipose flesh, etc. I can't fucking... <laughs> I can't fucking tell me that... Infinite Jest came out in 1996. You can't fucking tell me that David Foster Wallace took inspiration from Conehats. But what if he did? <laughs> what if? What if David Foster Wallace 
was a real conehead head. <laughs> the thing about DFW is that he was known to watch a fuck ton of TV. <laughs> like he wrote, he wrote one essay where it was like, why can't I stop watching TV even though I hate it? Like, where he just <laughs> talks about how he like sits down every day and just watches whatever garbage comes on. <laughs> I still don't think he would incorporate something from Cone Hats into Infinite Jest. David Foster Wallace go on Coneheads. That would have been like, if you get David Foster Wallace to host SNL, like, that would have been another Insta ban. <laughs> <laughs> would there be a way to rewrite? At least a part of Infinite Jest, like a scene or something, as an SNL sketch. Parodying Infinite Jest in the form oh of a, an SNL sketch. <laughs> oh my fucking... I can't, I, can't, I can't see it. I can't see it in my mind's eye. That's the shit they would do when they, like... They sometimes they sometimes do, do these insane pulls where, like, I think in 20... I don't know, 15 or 16, they had a sketch about a family arguing about... Whether Weezer did anything good after Pinkerton. Oh my god. Like, they sometimes do these insane pulls. Where it's like, where... <laughs> when was this culturally relevant again? Like, it's clearly just something one of the writers had on their mind. <laughs> so, if, if like, an SNL doesn't infinite jest, then, like... The, but, like, one that's not just about how ooh, men be reading infinite jest, or not even reading at all, they actually just have it on their bookshelves to look smart, but... Uh, they don't even understand it. But if they, if they have something that, like, actually, like, has, like, fucking incandenzas in it, <laughs> you know, let me know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> call me when, call me when SNL really touches on DFW. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think we've taught, we've said all that is to be said on Coneheads. Yeah, I think so. We talked about Ellen. Um, I do have, I have one last thing which is just so so um we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this i just want to touch on this um so we know that dan Aykroyd is a big alien man yes we know he he's into aliens and things of that nature um and he's playing an alien so i thought to myself you know there's got to be something there's got to be something you know, you can't be somebody like Dan Aykroyd, f- notorious alien enjoyer, um, alien believer Dan Aykroyd, playing an alien and not, you know, he's got to have, there's got to be something. So I just googled Dan Aykroyd alien, um, uh-huh. and I found this, I found another article from Vulture, um, or well, I thought it was an article, but it's actually like a link to a video with a caption, and the video seems to be gone now. <laughs> Um, Great, but I'll, I'm just gonna copy and paste the the caption from this um, because it's it's making me imagine a very different kind of Coneheads plot. How did we miss this? Ten days ago, Dan Aykroyd explained to Larry King that not only does he believe in aliens, he believes aliens should be arrested, and that 9/11 <laughs> is the reason they don't want to hang out with us. What? <laughs> 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 hey Dan. Hi. <laughs> hey Dan. You okay? Hey, hey Dan. 
Beldar Conehead is going to get arrested. He goes back to Remulac. is the reason they don't want to hang out with him. <laughs> <laughs> you want to explain this? <laughs> that I... It... This, this is from 12 years ago, first off. Okay. Um... But, like, uh, I don't know where to go beyond this. There's apparently a whole one hour and 21 minutes <sighs> documentary called Then Aykroyd Unplugged on UFOs, um, where, uh, where the whole concept seems to be that IMDb Summary of this says uh, a UFO enthusiast interviews Dan Aykroyd on the subject of extraterrestrials visiting Earth. Mm-hmm. The- <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that comes up uh, for me is a German article okay. that says I'm just going to translate here. It says, uh, Ghostbuster star is sure aliens are here and want to have sex. I'm sure they do. Who Mogus? He want to, they want, they, he says they want to have, they want to have sex with human women to create hybrid babies. Hey, Dan. Yes. <laughs> he has seen four UFOs in person, apparently. Yeah. Um, uh, do you think he? Do you think he smoked a doobie so hard that he was watching his own SNL sketch? And <laughs> thought, oh my god! What the fuck? You know what? It'd be really funny if that's what it was. <laughs> Experiencing ego death. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking a doobie and looking at a moai and going, "What if that was me?" <laughs> Looking at himself in the mirror in conehead makeup and going, what if I was French? I'm sending you a link. I don't care about this article itself. Um, I'm sure there's some funny shit in it. Um, uh, it's, it's Dan Aykroyd talking about his own UFO encounter. But what I want to talk about are the, is the, the, the second comment on here uh-huh. from... Anthony Ellis on November 17th, 2016 at 4.21 a.m. He just missed the mark. Um, <laughs> this comment... A.m. Yeah. This, this comment, let me read this. This Anthony Ellis from Canada, west coast of British Columbia. I'm photographer from Vancouver, B.C. I took a picture of UFO you can find in the Google internet. Just type UFO North Shore Mountain and you will see a picture of UFO saucer for Dan Adroid to see. <laughs> Just for you. Just for you, Dan Adroid. And this is... I took a picture. <laughs> I don't... This This is an American website and someone from Canada writing in. So it's not like... It's a, It's not like someone writing in from a different time zone. It's someone literally, like, staying up until 4 a.m. And just, like, having him Oh my god, I need to tell Dan Adroid about my <laughs> UFO pic. I'm sure he'll see it. I'm sure he checks this website every day. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> Google UFO North Shore Mountain. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he says you can find it uh, on Google is, Internet, actually, so... You can actually find it on Google Internet. Oh! The first article <laughs> that comes up said, uh, is from thetimescolonist.com saying UFO spotted above North Shore Mountains claims a Vancouver photographer. Okay. Oh, yeah, photographer Anthony Ellis. Oh, and the... Uh, I don't think that's a UFO. There's a pic here. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, of, uh, of a big boat. And in the background, it's like getting really grainy. Yeah. And there's just like a little spot above the, above this uh, this this mountain here. Yeah. Just like a little smudge. I don't... Anthony, mm. you're crazy for this one. <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely a UFO photo. Yeah. Like I think Anthony like stayed up watching conehead sketches. Uh, th- at night, uh, and was was hitting the doobie a little too hard. <laughs> he was looking at photos he took, and was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like this quote here. <laughs> okay, yeah. So it's a uh, this is fucking bullshit, <laughs> Anthony, my man. You gotta find you gotta find something better to do in your free time because this is pathetic. This is so sad. <laughs> If you're Anthony, if you're a huge Coneheads head, which you obviously are, clearly, uh, and listening to this because you're so hungry for Coneheads content, just fucking what's the thing? What's the thing Anthony could get into? Just, <sighs> I don't know. Just get into gardening. Just yeah. buy some buy some nice plants. Learn cross stitch. Get into get into craft beers. Yeah. Get because into home in this, this is what the article says. On Saturday morning around 10 a.m., Vancouver resident and amateur photographer Anthony Ellis snapped a photo of the North Shore Mountain. It wasn't until he got home and viewed the digital photo on his computer that he saw the speck hovering over the mountain. I was quite surprised, said Ellis, who believes the object is a UFO. (laughs) Ellis says he didn't alter the photograph in any way, in that the black speck does not appear on other photos taken the same day. So I wonder why. I wonder why. why. it only appears on this one. It's gotta be a UFO. This is, I feel so bad for this guy. Like, <laughs> this, did you go through a divorce? Like, what's going on here? And then he goes on to openminds.tv <laughs> to an article about Dan Aykroyd talking about his own UFO experience and saying, I need Dan Aykroyd to see this. But this is like oh I need God. Dan Aykroyd to see the picture you know what I took. It's even sadder. This article is from this this Vancouver article. Oh this, my God. this UFO sighting happened on May twenty sixth, twenty thirteen. Three years later. <laughs> Three years later. Anthony Ellis still has just one so much <laughs> photograph on his mind, and then he goes on he. He goes on openminds.tv and he's like, oh my god, a celebrity who could lend me credibility. He goes on, he goes on openminds.tv at 4 a.m. after smoking the world's biggest doobie. (laughs) (laughs) He ordered the dark web potion that makes you go onto openminds.tv at 4 in the morning. Which you should never do! <laughs> Alright, that was Sicko and Ebert. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Next week. Oh, so 
I said earlier that I wanted to talk about Beavis and Butthead. This has to oh, do with our right. segue. Yeah. So yesterday at work, I just got like a wild hair up my ass during my lunch break. And I was like, let me put on some Beavis and Butthead. So I found, as, I do. as you do, I found a playlist on YouTube of just like all of the bits of them watching music videos because they're funny to me. Um, and I was just watching several, you know, going down the list. And there was one, uh, uh, it was, um, Neighbor by Ugly Kid Joe. And I'm watching it, I'm eating my lunch, and who should appear in this video but none other than Julia Sweeney in full makeup and costume as the protagonist of the next <laughs> movie that we're going to be watching. It's Pat. Fantastic. Next week we're watching It's Pat, which I believe came out in 19... Yes, it's It's Pat 1994 film starring Julia it's Sweeney Pat. with a cameo by Ween. God. Yep. At least there's one thing I can look forward to. We've been over this. Are you sure you're looking forward to it? Do you want to see them under this under these content no. in this no. content? I I mean the the fucking tenacious D cameo in uh what was that? The oh, Biodome thing. Yeah. Like I knew they're going to be in it and it was like but I also I like Tenacious D. I have less of an attachment to Tenacious D than I have, which is nothing, than I have to Ween, uh, wh whom I quite like. So, I, we'll fucking see. You yes, Weenie was technically in this movie. I don't, because I don't know her. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have recognized her, but um, she was one of the very minor roles. So. Yeah. Um, I know you've you've stated on several occasions that you're yes you're very very worried about Night at the Roxbury, and. Uh, well, it's our good friend John Fortenberry coming back, so... Yeah. Uh, sworn enemy of the show. Sworn enemy of the show. And, and you know, I'm also not looking forward to that one. No. But I have not been dreading a movie... For sure. For I, this... It's Pat is the one I'm, I'm scared of the most. I, I am... Night at, the, Night at the Roxbury, I'm kind of excited. Like, that's the one I'm actually the most looking forward <laughs> to. We finally get to actually experience full-on Chris Kattan... Yeah, with that one. That has been like a threat. It's like Chris Kattan has been like appearing in our periphery throughout this entire and he's podcast. Been narrowly escaping yeah. all the damn time. He, he Chris Kattan, we've been like five nights at Freddy's Ing Chris Kattan this entire time. Yeah. But I'm fucking terrified of It's Pet. I Oh, It's Pet is gonna be, look, It's Pet is 78 minutes long. So that's that's why <laughs> 78 it, too it, goddamn many minutes it barely is a movie like it just hits the bare minimum of minutes to qualify as a movie <sighs> um, it's pet has the funniest like box office number I have ever seen because uh, uh, <laughs> oh boy it's pet made <laughs> on the list of SNL movies on Wikipedia I'm sure I said this on a previous episode but it it never fails to like get me really good is to just look at the box office revenue <laughs> for Wayne's World in the United States 121 million elsewhere 61 million worldwide 183 million none of the other ones actually make worldwide revenue apparently or mm -hmm. there's no information but Coneheads made 
significantly less. <laughs> Counted made once again Wayne's World 121 millions. Yeah. Um on a budget of 20 million. Mm-hmm. That was Wayne's World. Coneheads on a budget of 33 million made back 21 million. Yeah. American dollars. That is what we like to call a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is actually fucking... De- like, that's why I said this. making this movie was the major misstep. Yeah. In the, the, in, in the longevity of this SNL movies project. Um, because that's fucking sad, man. It's sad. Do- now, when it comes to the It's Pet budget to box office ratio yeah. but here's the thing about 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 coneheads though right like it had all these people so that's why michael michael lorn lorn michael michael lorn michael <laughs> that's why he that's why he lost all his favors because that movie bombed and now he has to do a movie <laughs> with, i imagine the situation was that none of the other snl cast members were like hey but coneheads fucking bombed and it was like just this fucking pet character that uh, Julius Wynn was like, yeah, I'll make yeah. a movie for you. Yep. I love being transphobic. <laughs> we gotta put all so, our hopes and money on Pat. What were you gonna say about the box office ratio here? Um, do we want to reveal it now or do we want to save it as a little surprise for when we actually talk about it? I think it's a good uh, a good tease for the next episode yeah. to say it now. Um, and then people can, can ask what went wrong. Yeah. Uh, how about one of us gives the, the budget and one of us gives the box office? On a budget of... So previous budget was $33 million, then Wayne's World 2 was $40 million. Yeah. On a budget of $8 million. $8 million. It's Pat, 1994 film, made back... Sixty thousand eight hundred and twenty-two U.S. dollars, and that was the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll follow up on that next week. Great! I can't wait. It literally doesn't even have a. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. It made back point seven five percent of its budget. It's just the saddest box office score you've ever seen. For. For the funniest reason, but we'll get to yeah. it. We it need got, to stop recording this. It got ratioed. <laughs> <laughs> the real miracle is that Lorne Michael still ended up making like eight more of these. He kept going. He said, I've still got dubs in me. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> Until next time. Remember yeah. to narfle the Garthok. Remember to narfle the Garthok. Keep eating consumables. He's calling me. She ain't really dumb. She's just a corny. Potato chip crumbs all over her face. Is there any more beer stashed away in her place? She's just a corny. She can't help herself. She's a conehead man of a girl. Picture a ring That is the thing That's getting her hot A hoop or a ring Going over the top Of her own head She's 
a conehead kind of a girl, kind of a guy. That's what she gives me is a whole conehead. When she's on her knees, the point is so high. I keep saying please, keep it out of my eye. Cause she's a conehead. A conehead kind of a girl, kind of a guy, kind of a girl thing Saturday night, you're home alone The TV lights up as a dad comes home He's been working all day at the driving school In a stupid looking hat that he uses to fool The people out there who might get back If they knew he was really from Ramulac We're the conehead from where the conehead people go to when the conehead people are done with the conehead things that are fun 